I heard a story uh, really recently about a Christian couple, Tim and Kate. And Tim and Kate, they had a lot of new beginnings in their life. They were newly married only a couple years. They had a new city for a new job, a new house, a relatively new baby, a one-year-old son. And they were young and healthy, and, and Tim had just kind of moved into upper management in a large dairy operation. Life, life was good. And one day, though, at the end of his shift, Tim, Tim didn't come home. And this had happened before, so Kate wasn't worried or anything. She just sent him a text, hey, where are you? She expected the same response as she'd gotten before, like, well, there was an unruly animal or something that was holding him up at the farm. Um, he'd be home. He'd be home pretty soon. But then he, he didn't answer. And then he still didn't answer. And he didn't answer again. And finally, she, she put their son in the car seat and drove the two miles to the farm. And um, she could hear, she could hear like, the farm working and everything. She drove partway up, and she walked around one of the trucks, and she expected the normal thing to happen. She expected to Tim ju to jump out and, and smile with his big toothy grin and say, hey, here I am. Um, but that, that didn't happen when... What, what she saw when she went around the truck was Tim, but he was no longer living. Uh, he, he was the victim of a, a terrible farm accident. And she was blindsided by it. Um, uh, a therapist said later that the trauma that she went through that day would be like if you take someone with no military experience at all and just drop them straight into the middle, and like no training, but drop them straight into the, the, the fiercest, deadliest battle you can think of. And it took, recover is not the right word, it took a lot for her to recover from that. And, and like I said, recover is not the right word. And it took a lot for her family to recover from that emotional pain too. And in addition to the emotional pain was spiritual pain. They, they, were, they were Christians, but like their faith was rocked and they asked all sorts of questions and they had doubts and you can't blame them. They, they said, she said, in so many different ways, why, God? Why? Like, he made me so happy. Why did you allow this to happen? Why? Why did you let this suffering into my life? Why? And she couldn't see an answer, and you can't blame her. There seemed to be no reason why. And why, God? Why is this happening? Why is there suffering? That's the question that Jesus' disciples were asking Jesus, too. Not about themselves, but about someone else. And those aren't the words exactly that they used, but that's the question they were asking. Why did this suffering happen to this guy? That's what they said in John 9, verses 1 and 2. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Why is this suffering happening? And the disciples, they thought they saw clearly. They thought they saw the whole picture. They thought they saw the reason it had to be because either he did something wrong or his parents did something wrong and God was punishing them because they assumed that's how God worked. They assumed that if you're suffering, it had to be your fault. It had to be something 
you did. And that assumption is very, very dangerous for them and for us for two reasons. Number one, because if you assume that, then it also leads to the assumption that no suffering equals no sin. And so you think, in your life, well, if I'm not suffering right now, it must be because I haven't sinned very much or I'm doing something good, which sounds good at first. Like, there's a part of us that wants that, but it also puts a ton of pressure on you because then your non-suffering is all up to you and then, and you all know this, suffering inevitably comes. And when suffering does come, if you think that no suffering equals no sin, then when suffering comes, it's easy to fall into a pit of despair because what? Well, the only possible person to blame can be you. And that gets turned on its head. Tons of pressure, and it leads you to despair. But it's also dangerous for another reason, because of how that belief causes you to view others. Because instead of looking around at a world that's full of suffering, and instead of mourning with people, and simply trying to love and serve them as best as you can, if you make the assumption that the disciples did, then what you end up focusing on is, hmm, well, I wonder what they did to deserve that. I don't have that. And it's a mixture of pride in yourself and looking down at other people who are suffering, which is not what Jesus wants us to do. But the disciples, they thought they saw clearly the reasoning. It had to be that either he sinned or his parents did. But actually, it's much more complicated than that. There's five reasons. Let me tell you the main five reasons for why suffering might be happening. Number one, it could be. It could be that you sinned, and now your suffering is a specific consequence of that sin, and God is disciplining you. It could be. Like, for example, if you get drunk and then get behind the wheel of your car, and you drive, and you get pulled over, and you get a ticket, a huge fine, and you get jail time, and you get your license revoked, and you're suffering because you don't have a license, and you're out of a lot of money, and you spent however long in jail, and you're suffering, well, in that case, it's a specific consequence of your sin, and God is disciplining you. In the same way that, I'll use my daughter as an example, like, we might give her a timeout if she just rides her bike down the driveway and into the road. The timeout is her suffering. Because we don't want her to suffer in a greater way. We don't want her to suffer getting hit by a car or getting killed by a car. And she won't like the timeout, but discipline is our, the goal of it is to keep someone from greater suffering. And it could be that God is disciplining you. Because all sin, no matter if we think it's a small one or an insignificant one, all sin left unchecked has power to become really huge and even draw us away from Jesus forever because it can overtake our entire lives and cause us to reject everything about God. And so God might be disciplining you for a specific sin because he wants to keep you from being away from him forever. That's one reason suffering might be in your life. But it might not be that. It might just be a consequence of the fact that we live in a world broken by sin. Like, why? Why did uh, a tornado about a week ago, wasn't it, rip through eastern North Carolina? Why did that happen? Why do normal cells become cancer cells? Why do miscarriages happen all the time? It's because we live in a world that's broken by sin. If you go back to the very first chapter of the Bible, when God created the world and everything in it, the whole universe in six days, at the end of each day, the Bible says, and God saw that it was good. 
And by that he meant perfectly good. But then sin came in and broke everything. Um, I've heard it said that sin is not just an action. Sin is an energy. Sin is like a radiation that has permeated every single atom in creation so that creation does not function the way God designed it. Why is there suffering in your life? It might be just because you're living in a world broken by sin. Or number three, suffering might be in your life so that the works of God might be displayed in your life. And that's what happened here in John 9, actually. Look what happened in verse 3 and following. Jesus answers. The disciples thought they could see, but Jesus says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, Jesus giving him sight. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, that's an amazing miracle. But even more amazing than at first glance. And I'm no eye doctor, but it takes more than eyes to see. You need an optic nerve that functions correctly. You need a brain that is able to process what the optic nerve is doing. And like People can get retina transplants these days, and that's amazing. But even after a retina transplant, you don't see right away because it takes time for it all to process. But here, it was instantaneous. The guy had never seen in his life, and only Jesus knows what was exactly wrong, but whatever was wrong, Jesus made it right like that. And maybe you ask, well, why didn't Jesus just make it right like that? Like, why the whole thing with the mud? And we don't know exactly because the Bible doesn't say, but the reason could be was that Jesus didn't want the guy to have any possibility of thinking that it was just a coincidence that this happened. He wanted, you know, the man, he was blind, his other senses were probably heightened because that's how it works. So he wanted the guy to feel. He wanted the guy to go and wash. And the pool of Siloam, it was not the pool that everyone loved to go to. There was a pool in Jerusalem that was known kind of for healing. That was called the pool of Bethesda. But the pool of Siloam, as far as we know, was actually outside of the city. It was dirty. It was like runoff water. No one ever went there. It was far away. But Jesus had him go there. And the whole time the guy was walking with saliva and dirt on his eyes, and the whole time he was washing, and I don't know if he knew it was dirty or not, but he had never been there and there weren't other people around, the whole time he could think, that guy, he told me very specific things. And then when he saw, can you imagine? The suffering had been in his life so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And God actually still does this. You've heard the term, um, like, the, modern, the miracle of modern medicine. Yeah, we say that all the time. Um, but it's actually not the miracle of modern medicine. It's the miracle of God working through modern medicine. Like, someone discovered penicillin, but who created penicillin? Um, someone formulated, a group of people formulated vaccines. A group of people figured out that chemotherapy 
can kill cancer cells. But who allows it all to work? Who created, who gave people the ability to figure all those things out? Uh, it's the miracle of God working through modern medicine. Suffering might happen so that God's works can be displayed in your life, like they were in the life of the blind man. But sometimes God doesn't take away. Sometimes God doesn't take away the suffering. He doesn't alleviate it. Sometimes instead he gives you faith to stand up in the middle of suffering. And so reason four for why there might be suffering in your life is it might be that God is giving you an opportunity to be a witness for him. And we saw this in the story too. The guy, he was excited and really courageous actually. He, he was not afraid to tell everyone. Jesus, the one they called Jesus, he's the one. He put money on my eyes, he told me to go wash and then I was cleansed. Now some churches have uh, testimonials in the worship service and that can be really powerful. Someone sharing a story of how they came to faith or how God blessed them in some way. And that can be a really good thing. But I don't think the worship service is the best place for testimonials. The best place for testimonials is your friend's living room or over coffee or in a funeral home waiting room or while you yourself are lying in a hospital bed. Because when you're suffering, when you're going through something, people listen. Because there's, people, people see that there's no room for just spouting nice-sounding spiritual truths when you're in the midst of horrific suffering. There's no room for, for hypocrisy. There's no room for anything except what you authentically, truly believe. And people know that. And so humanly speaking, they're more likely to listen to you when you're going through something incredibly difficult and you're still witnessing to the fact of who God is and how he loves you and them. It could be that there's suffering in your life and it means that God is giving you an opportunity to be his witness. And lastly, suffering could be in your life because through it, God is wanting to draw you closer to him. And actually, this one isn't, it isn't a might or a could. This is an always. Because this is God's goal for every, every moment of your life. No matter what happens, if it's suffering or joy or whatever it is in between, God's goal is to bring you closer and closer and closer to him. And we saw that in the story too. At the end, Jesus heard that the Pharisees had thrown him out. And when he found him, Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And you can't miss that. That Jesus, he heard that the guy had been thrown out and he went and found him. Just like Jesus went and found you and found me. And the guy, he had questions. He, he couldn't see Jesus totally clearly yet. And Jesus said, now you have seen him. You have seen the Son of Man. In fact, he is the one who is speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Because Jesus didn't want to just give the guy his eyesight. That would have been incredible enough, but Jesus wanted to give him spiritual sight. He wanted it to be that this guy, as he remembered the events of this day and how he received his sight, how he would remember even more the fact that he came to see who the Son of Man, his Savior, was. 
Because Jesus knew that as he lived the rest of his life and he saw with his eyes, he would see life more clearly because he saw Jesus clearly. But as we already saw, just because God draws you closer to himself, just because he brings you to himself and he has all of you, that doesn't mean that we always get clear-cut, black-and-white answers to the question, why? Why is there suffering? God uses it always, because he does it with every circumstance to bring you closer to him, but we don't get the answer why all the time. Like I don't know Kate, and it's been a few years now, but i got to believe she asks why every day, maybe? Because God is brought her even closer to him, but like her husband is still not there. I'm sure she asks why. The question why is one of the most, maybe the most difficult to wrestle with. I struggle with it. And I, I almost guarantee that you do too. Why? And as, as we struggle with it, even people who God has brought close to himself, as we struggle with it, here's two things. Number one, if God is God, and he is, if God is God, then, then he, he is able to have reasons for things that I can't and won't and will never be able to understand because he's God and I'm not. If God is God, and he is, he's able to have reasons for things that I don't understand, won't ever be able to understand. Because he's God, and I'm not. And number two, and this is, this is better. Number two, God is not just God. God is loving. But he's not just loving in general. God loves each and every one of you. Even when you don't get answers to when you ask why. Why is this happening? I don't know. And I've told you this before. I don't know, but I can tell you why it's not. It can't be that God doesn't love you. It can't be that it's happening because Jesus doesn't love you because we're less than six weeks away from Good Friday when we look at Jesus on the cross because what else is the blood running out of Jesus than his love for you? What else are the hands in his are the holes in his hands and in his feet. What else is that besides divine compassion for each and every one of you? It can't be that God doesn't love you because Jesus is the true God who didn't shy away from suffering. He was willing to intensely suffer for you, intensely suffer in your place. Because of all, because of all the sins that I commit, all the unbelief that even gets into my heart, he was willing to suffer intensely for you so that you and I would never suffer in that way for our sins. He was willing to be blind on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, it was like he was groping around in the dark trying to find his Father's love and he couldn't find it at all because it wasn't there. Because on the cross, the Father didn't love the Son because the Son was carrying all of our sins so that we wouldn't have to. So that we would never have to grope around in the dark trying to find the Father's non-existent love because the Father's love for you is always there. Jesus suffered being alienated from his own Father's love so that you could always see God's love most clearly. And when you see that, 
When you see Jesus and his love clearly, you are going to see the rest of your life clearly as well. Because every single other thing in this world can change. Everything in your life, anything and everything can be broken. Except for Jesus' love. That will never change. And it can never, ever be broken. Why? Why is there suffering in your lives? It might be. It might be a consequence of a sin and God is disciplining you. It might be just because we live in a world broken by sin. It might be that God is using it to display his works for you and for other people. It might be that he's giving you an incredible opportunity to be his witness and reflect his love, even in the middle of your suffering. It might be all that, but always, always, it's because even in the middle of your suffering, God wants to bring you closer and closer to him, the only one whose love will never, ever be broken. He proved it. He proved it. Just look at Jesus' victorious suffering and his victorious death. Amen.